Let's continue where we left off last time. We were making a list of lessons we learn about hearing him in the dark. That section 121, 122, and 123 is just a remarkable gift of being able to watch someone that just uh, someone who receives revelation and writes it down as scripture. We get to walk that we get to go through their hardest moment and hear what God is telling them. Because it's the same messages we would hear and we will hear in our darkness. So we did four last time, right? And allow me to pause on that very first one one more time because I just feel like every time I have an opportunity, I need to testify that pain and darkness and affliction is not a sign of God's disfavor or he's abandoned you or he doesn't love you or that you've done something wrong. Maybe can I just introduce that just one more time? Let me just show you from a different angle. Would everyone start in 2 Nephi chapter 2? Lehi's beautiful explanation of the plan of salvation and why we need the fall and the atonement and all these things coming together. 2 Nephi chapter 2, again, we all need to understand the doctrine of why we are here why do we need a fallen world one of the i'll admit one of the most challenging doctrines to teach people why do we need a fallen world i want to go to verse 33 or 23. we need to go to 22 well maybe even 21 right in the middle of 21 this life is a state of probation we are not here to just have everything go right and everything be perfect. This is a state of probation. Verse 22, our, pre our preface is, if Adam had not transgressed. So if Adam had not transgressed and they were still in the Garden of Eden, let's go to 23. Would they be happy in Eden? Now that's an ironic term because the word Eden, what do we, what do we associate with an Edenic state? If something's Edenic, it means what, Hiram? It's paradise. it's paradise, which is very ironic because look at verse 23. Were they happy in Eden? Right there in the scriptures. They were not. They would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy. Next word. For they knew no misery. Why couldn't they have joy? Did Adam ever wake up one day and say it's a beautiful day? Today's a beautiful day. Today is a beautiful day here in Utah. Finally, right? Now how do we, you're all smiling. Why are you all smiling when I say today's a beautiful day? Because? We've had so much snow. And then when the sun comes out and we can go outside without coats on, it's like today's a beautiful day. We can appreciate today because of the weather we've been having. They could have no joy because they knew no misery. They couldn't do good because they knew no sin. So lesson number one, when, when Heavenly Father says to Joseph, my son, he had not abandoned him. <clears throat> Darkness and pain is not a sign that you've done something wrong or that God has abandoned you. 
It is a sign that you're in a mortal state and we have to taste the bitter in order to know the good. And so you are never alone. In the darkness, he is always with you. Then, number two, it won't last forever. And I know that can sometimes come across as a little demeaning, but it is something that we can hold on to. When Jesus said, it is finished, it means everything will finish. Every pain will finish. Then, number three, if you endure it well, you will triumph over all your foes. And then he said, number four, you are surrounded by people who love you, who want to hail you with open arms. Let them run to family, friends, people who love you. Allow them to help you through those difficult times. All right, that's where we left off. Any thoughts you've had since Monday? Anyone? Ahas that just said, oh, I, that really resonated with me. Number four actually is very hard to do sometimes. Absolutely, right? And I, and, and I understand that we're vulnerable. I'm already in pain and I'm vulnerable. And being vulnerable, it's not something that human beings like to do. We naturally have vulnerability defenses. And, and silence is one of those vulnerability defenses. And so we do, we retreat into a little shell and we suffer in silence. But I just think there's something to be said about having that courage to say, hey, I'm, I'm hurting. And just allowing people the opportunity to be with us. Thank you for sharing that, Alicia. I think that's 100% true. It is difficult to do. All right, with that, let's pick it up. Yeah. Families yeah. even harder. Yep. Now, the, you raise a good point because not everyone will hail me with open arms. And I think we need a little wisdom to say there are certain people I just don't share my challenges with. I think we all know that. These are the people that are unsympathetic, that really don't love us. But there's always someone, I think there's always someone that we can let in. Doesn't mean everyone, but there's someone that we can. So find that someone. Um, in our mental health class, we talk about, I just love the phrase, find the someone who is worthy for you to tell your story to. I really like that idea is find someone worthy to hear your story. Find someone worthy. Find someone that will embrace you with open arms. Yeah, you're right. Not everyone will. But those who will, we need. We need in our lives.
Thank you. Sometimes it's even somebody who's older and wiser than you are. Yep. Yep. But it, it you don't consider them a friend or or family. It's your bishop. Maybe. Yep. Priesthood. You remember, Joseph got three letters: wife, brother, and bishop. I, I thought that was so significant that Joseph got three three letters that calmed his heart down: his wife, his brother, and his bishop. Great point. And all of them can breathe. Oh, what did he say? Consoling words. All right, let's do number five. Let's go back to section 121. This is an excerpt from the letter. Again, it's not the whole letter. One more time today, I'm going to show you an excerpt that's not in the letter, or sorry, that's not in the scriptures. It was, we didn't pull the whole letter into the scriptures. We just kind of excerpted it. And again, I just, Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, get really busy for me. But as soon as I upload these two classes to the website, I'll put a link to the full letter so you can see exactly what is and isn't. But here's an excerpt from the letter, verse 10. He brings in Job. 10 and 11, he talks about Job. Now, that's a complicated story, and there's almost two stories in Job. We kind of talk of, we, we kind of, talk of Job kind of as a, 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 a beautiful picture with a frame and then a portrait in the middle. Frame and portrait. And the frame are the first two chapters and the last chapter. There's the frame. And then the inside is Job really struggling. Um, the, the middle portion of Job tell a very different story than the outer edges. And I think the Lord is referring to both, but we just don't have time today to just focus on, you know, all of the book of Job. So allow me to just, you know, point out the frame and then leave you to study kind of that inside portion. But Job is an interesting person to bring up to Joseph Smith in Liberty Jail. Knowing what the Lord's saying and kind of putting this in parallel, I am positive the Lord isn't saying, hey, others have had it worse, suck it up. I truly believe what the Lord is saying is others have made it through more difficult challenges and survived. Take strength in that because you can survive this. I don't think it's a, oh, I, I complained because I didn't have any you know, shoes until I met a person who didn't have any feet. I, I don't think that's the point is, I should quit whining because someone has had it harder than I have. But I think the spirit here is, wait a minute, this Job's trials didn't crush Job. Mine won't crush me. I think we can take comfort in what other people are struggling with and surviving. You know what? He made it through his... I can make it through mine. So I'm going to word it this way. I think the lesson I need to remember is others have been through worse and survived. 
I can take comfort from that. That humans are stronger than we think they are. And I know that because I know some humans who have shown their strength in trial. I know how strong humans are. Thank you, Job. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you, Hiram. Thank you for the challenges that you have faced and survived because you all give me hope that I can conquer mine. As a people, we should give hope to each other. Everyone knows someone who has struggled and suffered. And we should take comfort. Now, one of the next ones that we're going to put on the list is our trials should tell us how strong we are. We'll get to that one in a minute. But I like this one because other people's struggles should tell us how strong we are. As a people, I know I can handle this because other people have been through worse and they survived. So I'm gonna take comfort. So I think bringing up Job is a significant thing that Job survived. Job ended his life happy. We sometimes don't tell that end of the story. Job ended his life and he spent a lot of years happy. And if that's the case, then I trust that I will too. That as a people, I can see how strong we are. And I'm grateful for that message. We should take comfort. Another reason why we need to share our challenges is because my challenge might help someone come get through theirs. How many times have you guys taken comfort as you've come to know that Someone else went through someone something similar to what you're going through. That's very comforting. Um, kind of a, I don't know, silly story. When I was hired by the church to be a teacher, we left everything and moved to Arizona. My family was in Utah. My wife's family was in Utah. Everything we knew was in Utah. We had no family where we were going. But we wanted an adventure, and they assigned us to southern, Utah, southern Arizona. So we loaded up my wife, myself, my wife, and our 11-month-old daughter. Everything we owned in a rider truck, towing our car. My whole world was in this vehicle, and we were leaving everything else I knew. That was a challenge for us. Years later, I got into my family history and I read the story of my great-great-grandfather who left Denmark with his 11-month-old son and his wife and came to America to start a new life. And I can't tell you what reading that did to me. That someone I descended from, one of my ancestors, went through a very similar experience, probably harder. It's a lot harder to leave a country and go to America than to leave Utah and go to Arizona. We still had telephones and we could still travel up. He left his entire world halfway across the world. But reading his experiences gave me a strength that it's hard for me to describe. 
because I knew he went through something and clearly survived, because I'm here, I can get through mine. Thoughts, comments, that idea that we should strengthen each other, our challenges, that we're here together, and that I can be blessed by, by I can be blessed by your strength in your trials. I am uplifted by people who handle their challenges and survive. So, do you see how those two are related? Now, one other, why bring up the story of Job? We just need to understand a doctrinal truth. Let me just testify with my soul. I'm going to say it this way. We worship a God of three scoops of ice cream. I'm going to let that settle for a second. We worship a God of three scoops of ice cream. Let me tell you a story. Uh, My oldest daughter, my wife and I had a girl first. And we were young parents. And again, we were living in Arizona away from everyone else. We were on our own. We were raising our daughter without any help. (laughs) And we did not immunize her on time. You know, inexperience, we just didn't take it. The thought of her getting a shot kind of just traumatized my wife. And so we didn't. We didn't take her to regular checkups and we didn't get her immunized. And then she was about two years old and we realized, wait a minute, she's going to be starting school in a couple years and she has to be done with her immunizations and we haven't even started them. So we were like, oh no, we are so far behind. (laughs) So I took her in. My wife says, no way, you're going to take her in because I know she's going to get a bunch of shots and I can't deal with that. So I took her into the doctor and sure enough, she had to have three shots. A two-year-old little girl with three shots. Now... It was me and the nurse and this two-year-old, and so I had to hold her down. Can you imagine the look on my little girl's face when she was getting those shots? Tell me what that looks like. She was scared. Total, not only scared, but total betrayal. She looked at me like, Dad, how could you? How could you do this to me? Now, do you think she would have understood if I'd explained it to her why she needed these shots? She didn't get it. She was not in a mental state where I said, honey, this is going to bless you. Sorry, not helping me, dad. She looked at me with total betrayal. Now, I knew why she needed them, and I knew that she would survive and she'd be fine, but she didn't know that. So tell me what any father would do who took his daughter to get shots at the doctor's doctor's office. Tell me what you would do, Hiram. After you leave the doctor's office, where do you go? You take her out for ice cream. You take that two-year-old out for ice cream. So I took her to Baskin Robbins. How many scoops of ice cream do you think I got her? Three shots. Three scoops. Now, you've seen a Baskin-Robbins scoop of ice cream, right? But it's not this, it's this. So I turned around. I, I picked up the ice cream and I turned around. Now tell me the look on her face when she saw, and she loved bubble gum ice cream. I don't know if you've ever had Baskin-Robbins bubble gum ice cream, but for a two-year-old girl, that's just absolute heaven. 
<coughs> I got her three scoops of bubble gum ice cream, her favorite ice cream, and I turned around. Now tell me the look on her face when she saw the ice cream. Joy. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that night when I tucked her into bed, she remembered the shots? No. What was her memory of the day? The ice cream. The ice cream. Now, it is my testimony that Heavenly Father is a God of three scoops of ice cream. Let me teach you a truth. It's one I believe with all my soul. Once you obtain heaven, the joy of heaven works backwards into our memories and changes pain into joy. Jesus in, his, in, in, his, uh, in the Last Supper is going to use that analogy. He's going to use the analogy of a mother giving birth. Now, giving birth is a painful experience, but I've watched it 10 times. Mother going through birth is a painful experience. And then you hand that baby to mother. And what happens? What can you all guess happens the moment that mother holds that baby? She forgets the pain. The joy of holding that baby has a tempering effect. It turns the pain into a joy. Heaven is the same way. Let me show it to you with the book of Job. Turn to Job. Go to the Old Testament. Go to Job. All right, let's start in Job chapter 1. Let's list his possessions. I'm going to list them here. We're going to do sons and daughters. And I know we're going to do camels and sheep and yoke of oxen. And we'll say donkeys because I can't write the other word on the board. Um, is that it, right? Sheep, camels, oxen, donkeys. Okay. So this is before and this is after. These are the two, these are the three shots. And these are, this is the scoops of ice cream. How many sons and daughters does he have in verse 2? Job chapter 1, verse 2. Seven sons and three daughters. Now, let's do, I did sheep second. So how many sheep? 7,000. 7, now, does that, where does that place him in terms of wealth in the environment in that neighborhood? To own 7,000 sheep. And then what do we add? How many camel? 3,000 camel. What would you say of a desert dweller who owns 3,000 camels? This man is not just doing well. This man is filthy rich. 3,000 camels. How big of a piece of property, how many servants would it require to take care of 3,000 camels and 7,000 sheep? Now, he has 500 yoke of oxen, so I'm guessing two per yoke, and so he has 1,000 oxen, 
and how many donkeys? 500. Now, the shots, the pain, the trial. Um, jump down to verse 14. No, th yeah, 13. Chapter 1, verse 13. There was a day when, the son, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. There came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. <clears throat> and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away and have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped to tell thee. In one moment, he lost 1,500 animals. Now, before he can even gasp and react to that, verse 16, while he was yet speaking, there came another saying, the fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up 7,000 no, sheep. There was a fire and all 7,000 sheep are gone. And the servants who took care of them are gone. And I only am escaped to tell thee. Again, before he could even gasp and react to that one, verse 17, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone am escaped to tell thee. 3,000 camels were stolen. In one moment, Job lost his entire fortune. But at least I have my family. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped to tell thee. He lost his children, his camels, his sheep, his oxen, his donkeys. He lost everything. Now, does he endure it well? Verse 21, naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Chapter two. Um, talks about his integrity, we won't necessarily jump into it, but he stands in his integrity. Now, long story short, let me get to the three scoops of ice cream. Anyone know how Job's life ends? Let's go to chapter 42. Job chapter 42. Now, I do need, I do want to point out... Oh, sorry, it's taking me a minute. There we go. I want to go back to the beginning of the chapter. Go back to the beginning of 42. 
What was Job's attitude? What did Job learn? Now we're going to get to this in a minute, but what did Job, what was his attitude about the challenge he went through? Look at verse 3. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Now, remember when we talked about Nephi and Laman last Wednesday, when we were all home, we talked about Nephi and Laman. What was, no, it was the week before that when we saw the preface for that. Do you remember if you turn with God, if you humble yourself and turn to God, you see. Job is seeing things too wonderful for me that I didn't know. But now I know. I have seen them. In verse 6, he talks about, I see myself more clearly. I see my old self. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I've changed. I'm a different person. I'm better. I've learned. I'm growing. Now, let's see God more clearly. Jump to verse 10. End of verse 10. The Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Verse 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had, tell me what Job ends up with. How many sheep does Job end up with? He started with seven and lost them. Ends up with? Verse 12, 42, 12. 14,000. How many camels? 6,000. How many yoke? He's got a thousand yoke, which means if we assume two per yoke, there's two thousand and how many donkeys? So what did the Lord do? Double it. He doubled it. There's your three scoops of ice cream. That's the God that we worship, who knows we need to be immunized. He knows that pain is not a sign of God's disfavor. That pain is part of this mortal experience. We know that. He knows that. We need to trust that. But because of the pain he knows we have to go through, he's going to take us out to ice cream. I promise you, every pain you suffer in this life will lead to a blessing. If we endure it well, it will lead to a blessing. And that blessing will work backwards and change the memory of the pain into joy. Like the woman who's giving birth to a child. When, I, when those blessings are laid in my arms, I will not remember the pain it took to get there. Let me quote C.S. Lewis. He wrote a marvelous book called The Great Divorce has nothing to do with marriage. It's the divorce of heaven and hell. It's the separation of heaven and hell. The idea of the book is everyone, a group of ghosts from hell go on vacation to heaven, or really the outskirts of heaven. And down come some spirits to invite them to come up to heaven itself. When they get there, all the ghosts are told 
that they can stay. Anyone who wants to can stay in heaven as long as they give up the one thing they're holding on to that's keeping them in hell. Brilliant concept. <clears throat> Only one of the ghosts stays. Everyone else, for whatever reason, gets back on the bus and goes back to hell rather than give up the one thing that they're holding on to. And the conversations they have with the spirits reveal what that one thing is. That we quite often hold on to something rather than stay in heaven. So it's in that concept, after the one person who stays, after he describes that whole experience and he stays, the kind of, the ghost, I think C.S. Lewis put himself into the, he's one of the ghosts from hell. And there's a ghost, his mentor, who's trying to get him to say. So now this is a conversation between the main character, which I think is C.S. Lewis, and his mentor. And his mentor says to him, well, they have a little conversation. Let me just read that conversation. You cannot in your present state understand eternity, but you can get some likeness of it if you say that both good and evil, when they are full grown, become retrospective. All this earthly past, <coughs> I'm sorry, I gotta say that clearly. All this earthly past will have been heaven to those who are saved. All their life on earth, too, will be seen by the damned as having been hell. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. And I know you've said that in your pain. O oh God, where art thou? Carest thou not that we perish? No future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven once obtained will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. And of some sinful pleasure, the wicked say, let me but have this and I'll take the consequences. Little dreaming how damnation will spread back and back into their past and contaminate the pleasure of sin. Both processes begin before death. The good man's past begins to change so that his forgiven sins and remembered sorrows take on the quality of heaven. The bad man's past already conforms to his badness and is filled only with dreariness. And that is why in the end of all things, the blessed will say, we have never lived anywhere except in heaven. And the lost will say, we have always been in hell. And both will speak truly. That is a remarkable truth. When the blessings of heaven are poured out, they will change the memory of our pains into joy. He is a God of three scoops of ice cream. What came after Liberty Jail? Nauvoo. Where was Joseph the happiest? Where was Joseph the happiest in his whole life? Nauvoo. And that was after 
Liberty Jail. So in that pain, in that jail, I think the Lord says one word to teach all these things. He says, Job. Job. And every one of us needs to know that the story of Job is going to give us hope. A, someone got through something tough. B, God is a God of three scoops of ice cream. Knowing how the story of Job ends is a tremendous lesson. Now, we have time for one more. Let's just do one more. Let's jump to section 122. This is a continuation of the latter. 121, 122, and 123 are all the latter. I want to jump to verse 7. One of perhaps my most favorite verses of Scripture in all of the Scriptures. I just love this paragraph. Let me read it if you don't mind. If thou shouldest be cast into the pit or into the hands of murderers, and the sentence of death passed upon thee, if thou be cast into the deep, if the billowing surge conspire against thee, if fierce winds become thine enemy, if the heavens gather blackness and all the elements combine to hedge up the way, and above all, if the very jaws of hell shall gape open the mouth wide after thee, know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. Now, I'm going to separate them into two. We'll end today with the first one. All these things shall give the experience. Now, I've got to put number six up there, and that is three scoops of ice cream. Now, number seven. All these things shall give the experience. In other words, the one thing I know, remember going back to if I humble myself and call upon God, I will see. We've talked about seeing God more clearly. I see a God of three scoops of ice cream. I see God more clearly. I see life. I see other people. I see Jesus. But one of the things that becomes very clear in pain is that I see me. I know how strong I am. I don't know if any of you lift weights, but if you've ever really pushed, how do you know how strong you really are? If you stopped when you wanted to stop, would you know how strong you are? If you've ever had a good spotter who's pushing you, he says, I'm going to put 10 more on. Oh, okay. I can't do it. I'm going to put 10 more on. Do it. I can't do it. Do it. You can do it. And then you, with every ounce of strength, you push that bar up. Now you know how strong you are. It's only when you have been pushed to the limit that you know how strong you are. Now, knowing how strong you are, what will that do the next time a trial comes around? The next time I face a challenge. Let's suppose you conquer cancer. I, there's a woman in my ward who conquered breast cancer. Her mom died of breast cancer, so she was very aware, and she caught it early, and she conquered, went through chemo, everything. She conquered breast cancer. And then about a year after she had been declared free, cancer-free, her husband lost his job. 
And I'll never forget, she stood up in fast and testimony meeting. And I'll never forget what I saw. This woman who was facing a challenge that her husband was now out of a job, but she had conquered breast cancer. Can you imagine what her attitude was? As she stood there having conquered breast cancer, and here comes the next challenge of unemployment. Tell me what she did, Hiram. What do you think she did? It was <laughs> unemployment, <laughs> right? Because why? Because she had already conquered. I know how strong I am. I have conquered breast cancer. This is not going to get me. In other words, all these things shall give thee experience. All these things shall give the experience. I know how strong I am, not because of my peaceful moments, but because of the painful moments where I was pushed. If the wind always blows you down, do you know how strong a wind you could endure? It's when you stand up and you face that wind. Those people know how strong they are. And that is a confidence you can't get anywhere else. I know what I can do. I know what my limits are, and this isn't it. I can and will conquer this. Let me give you a piece from the letter. This is not in our scriptures, but is in the letter. It's just a beautiful statement from Joseph about that very thing where he's basically saying, I know how strong I am. He says, I'm just quoting this, this is Joseph's language, bear with me. You will learn by the time you read this, and if you do not learn it, you may learn it, that walls and irons and doors and crinking hinges and half-scared-to-death guards and jailers, grinning like some damned spirits, lest an innocent man should escape to make his escape, to bring to light the damnable deeds of a murderous mob. All these things that Joseph has suffered are calculated in their very nature to make the soul of an honest man feel stronger than the powers of hell. Oh, I love that. I am stronger than the powers of hell because I've faced hell and I conquered it. One of the blessings that comes out of pain is I know what I can conquer, especially when I endure it well. I know how strong I am. And this medical condition or this debt or this car accident or this circumstance or whatever's happened to me is not stronger than I am. I know it. Now think about what that confidence does. All these things shall give thee experience. Of that I testify. The only way to know how truly strong you are is to be pushed to your very limits. And as one who has been pushed to my very limits many times, 
when a trial comes in, you know what? I can do this. I can do this. I am stronger than this trial. I know it. And if that's the hardest, if that's the major trial, and then it pushes me beyond that, and then I come out saying, wow, I went even further. I put 10 more, I put 10 more pounds on, and I still lifted the bar. Now I know how strong I am. The only people who know that are the people who endure their trials well. And that information is so valuable. I know how strong I am. May you find peace in the dark. We will continue this list. There's about four more I want to put on the list, but we'll continue this list on Monday. Um, learning about Joseph in the dark is, we, is worth pausing and taking our time and digesting this. And then we'll end the class by talking about hearing him. So we'll do hearing him in the dark, what do we need to do next? Hearing him in prosperity. It is crucial that we hear him in both the pain and the prosperity. So we'll continue this, but I leave you with my testimony. May you remember eternal truth in those moments where you are in your own liberty jails. May you take comfort from each other and from your strength. And may you know that we worship a God of three scoops of ice cream is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.